Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. And that leads into kind of from Ben's offering message, which was really good and really timely because today... Um, I'm not going to talk about the offering at all. But I am talking about generosity and serving and how we can continue to be a generous and serving church. And in one sense, I was like, if you think of Jesus, there's so much to marvel about Jesus. If you've read the Gospels, if you've been around church a bit, maybe you're new and you're kind of going, I know Jesus has something to do with this, but I'm not quite sure. Well, you've been in the right place. Jesus is amazing. And the testimonies about him, what he did, uh, the miracles, you know, walking on water, feeding thousands of people with a loaf of bread and a couple of fish, you know, stretching out his hand and healing people and raising the dead, uh, reaching out to the lost and the broken, the marginalised, those on the edge, the friendless, the sinner, and welcoming them into God's kingdom. Jesus did amazing things. It was amazing. But as I pondered this week, thinking about being a generous and serving church, I thought perhaps one of the most stunning and amazing things about Jesus is that he was a servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason it's really stunning is because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the one that we ought to serve and are called to serve, and we do as his followers. But he came to this earth not as a conquering king, not to impress, not to overpower us and subdue us, but to serve us. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think that's stunning. And I think that's so powerful. And I want us to just move into that this morning and and look at what serving is from the perspective and life of Jesus. And then what it means for us to serve him and his purposes from his servanthood. And I'm assuming in that that Servants, serving is, is a generous act and generous people serve. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came as one who was generous. He served us. He gave his life. He gave his life. He gave up the privileges and the authority, the honour of heaven for a season. He set it aside to come and to serve humanity. Let's look at Jesus the servant. If I was going to give this message a name, I feel that pressure of having to have a name for my messages these days, but I'm working on it and like my walking in the morning, pray for me. But I was going to say, you know, being a a serving in a generous church and it's like, that's so boring. Um, But it's good, you know, it's like to be serving and generous. And then I thought, actually, when I look at Jesus, when I consider his life, when I consider what he did, I felt maybe this message should be called now, now just wait for it because it might jar just, just briefly. Jesus, the biggest loser. 
because he lost everything. He gave up everything for us. He paid the highest price. He paid the greatest price. He gave up the most that anyone has ever given up. He lost that for us. Not just lost it as in unwillingly, but willingly gave up his very life for us. So take it or leave it. I won't say it again. (laughs) Now, Jesus is noted in Scripture as being a servant. If you look at Isaiah around chapter 42 and beyond, there's like prophetic utterances there that one day God would send someone that God indeed would send the Messiah to come and he's called the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord. The one who would come and fulfil faithfully what human beings had failed so miserably to do. To obey God, to be obedient, to be totally committed and faithful to him. Jesus is that servant. He was the one who came. So Acts chapter 3 verse 13. The God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 27, when the believers pray, when they're being threatened by the authorities to stop speaking in this name of Jesus, they prayed and they said, Lord, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Jesus was a servant, a servant of God Most High, even though he was and is the Son of God Most High. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. In Luke 22, we see the scene set where the disciples, I mean, these guys, they've been with Jesus three years and he's about to go to the cross. He's just shared the Last Supper with them. And then they break out in a bit of an argument about who's going to get the position in his kingdom? Who's going to get the top spot? Who's going to have the most status? And then, can you believe that? Jesus just led, you know, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. I'm about to give my life for you and for the world. I'm about to lay down my life. In John's gospel, he's washed their feet just before this meal, this scene. And they're like, jostling for positions of status and power. Isn't that the human problem right there? Isn't that our problem? We want to have status. We want to have power. We want to get credit. And Jesus turns and talks to his followers and just gives them a a brief lesson but a profound lesson which we'll read now in Luke chapter 22, verse 24 to 28. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people, lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. 
just quickly, in that culture and that time, rich people basically gave the money for social services, for sewers and whatnot in the towns and the cities. So they had great status. And when you gave money, that kind of increased your status. And as you got more status, you got more credit. There was this sense of people serving to get status and to gain power for themselves. And Jesus is going, you know what, how the world does power? How the world does serving? There's always an angle. There's always a reason because I want to get more power. I want to get more status. I want to be more honoured. That's why I'll give. That's why I'll serve. Jesus is like, no, it's not like, don't, don't be like that. Instead, the greatest among you, so we can aspire to greatness. We can aspire to greatness in the kingdom of God. The greatest should be like the youngest. And young people, young children in that culture had no status. They had no rights. Should be like the youngest. The one who rules, so it's okay to lead it's okay to be leaders. But if you rule, if you lead, as the one who serves. For listen to this. Who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves, like the waiter? Who's greater? The one sitting there, enjoying their meal, sitting back, or the one serving them? Who's greater, says Jesus? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Is it the one sitting at the table, Jesus? Jesus says, is it not the one who is at the table? Yeah, that's right. The one sitting there being served in the world is in the position of greatness. But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus says, I'm like the divine waiter. I'm here to serve, to serve you, to serve humanity and to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28 puts it like this. Same scene, slightly different wording from Jesus. Not, with, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is amazing. This is countercultural. In the Greco-Roman world, their pantheon of gods were like very privileged and power-hungry beings. And service or servanthood would have been such a laughable concept in Greco-Roman culture for, for a god. Because the gods were powerful. They demanded service. They demanded um, patronage, they demanded that, that we give them uh, all that we have. They would never serve. That was laughable. And for a Greco-Roman person that time, it's like, what, your God, they would have said to Christians, came as a servant? What sort of God would lower himself to the status of a servant, which is no status at all? What sort of God would make himself weak to make you strong? What sort of God would give his life in payment for your sins and your punishment? What sort of God would do that? The only God, the one true God, the God who's powerful enough and secure enough to become a servant. 
Because ultimately, servanthood is strength, not weakness, says Jesus. And the early church followed Jesus' example. Listen, Acts 4, 32 to 35. This is a profound passage of the early church. It's disturbing too, because when you hear it, you go, wow. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. That's great. This is where it gets a bit challenging. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. I just got a new iPhone. And I'm not willing to share it just yet. In fact, I'm selling my old iPhone. And my sister saw it on eBay. Like, long story, but she says, Nick, I've got an iPhone 6. And I laughed because that's just hilarious. An iPhone 6. Like, we're up to 15, I said, Samantha. That's my sister. And she said, I, I need a new phone. And I was selling my iPhone 12. I just have a high value on, on communication, all right? It's not about, it's not about the status of the, the latest phone. I have a high value. So I missed 13. I missed 14. Had to do the new plan with Optus and went to 15. All right, just putting that out there. My sister's like, I got an iPhone 6. I need a new one. And I'm like, well, if you want to bid, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'm just... That baby's up to 580, and I just, I can't do any better, Samantha. Um, but the early church, like, look at this. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Now, I'm a pastor. I don't even know if my sister's a believer yet, so that's terrible, I know. <laughs> but maybe the Lord will convict me, and I'll give her that iPhone 12, but we'll see. Um, no one claimed any of their, <laughs> pray for me, yeah. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own. They shared everything they had. Now, that's amazing. Now, listen to this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus, and the grace of God was so powerfully at work in them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, this was Spirit-filled people, like living in such freedom and such generosity because of their trust in the Lord Jesus, that they were so open to sharing. It was this picture of this generous, sacrificial community. And, and we do that in different ways. So I'm not sure it's a great strategy to, to be selling all your assets early on as a church um, and, and giving it all away. I'm not sure, but we know that from history that this didn't continue to happen as like a demanded uh, reality for people. But nonetheless, the picture of generosity, of sharing, is challenging to us today, is it not? And it's challenging to our consumer culture, to our materialistic culture, which places such a high value on, on possessions, on things, uh, on building our own financial empires. And yet, the early church followed the example of Jesus. They were prepared to give generously. They were prepared to suffer loss for the sake of the kingdom. And they were prepared to serve one another practically uh, where they needed to serve. But let's break it down because I just want to give you three things that, that I think will help you as you think and pray about serving, as you consider what it means for you to serve and be generous. Uh, as I have, as I've gone through this week doing this. And the, the three things are this. Firstly, whom do you serve? That's the authority over you. Secondly, how do you serve? 
That's the attitude within you. And thirdly, where do you serve? That's the appointment to you. Whom do you serve? How do you serve? And when do you serve? Or where do you serve? And the first one, whom do you serve? In one way, the Bible portrays a reality for human beings that you have to serve someone or something. Ultimately, you will give your heart, your life, your affections, your ultimate allegiance to someone or something. You may not even have thought about that, but you can often find out who you are serving or what you are serving by what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, what you think about a lot, what makes you happy or angry. And you start to see, who am I actually serving? What am I actually serving? And the Bible's picture is that we should serve God, the one true God. We should serve our Creator. But we didn't, right? We turned away collectively in Adam and Eve and we said, God, we'll go our own way. And we don't serve God as we ought to. So Jesus has come and He served God perfectly and fulfilled what we could never fulfill. And now in Him and from Jesus, we serve God. He's the authority above us. And if He's the one we truly serve, then you're free to serve others around you. You're free to serve your spouse, your children, in your workplace, your church, your wider community. You're free to serve in other ways because ultimately your heart is serving God and therefore you're secure. If you're serving someone else, if you're living for someone else, whether it's a good someone else or a good thing even, if you're living for money, if you're living for the security that money brings, if you're living to make sure your family are all happy and work out fantastically, these aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not good masters. And they will end up binding us. They will end up taking away our joy and our freedom. Because if, if your ultimate is that my kids are happy, that's a good goal. But if that's your ultimate, you'll end up serving them in, in destructive ways. If you place people in a position that only God should have, if you place things in only a position that God should have in your life, ultimately those people, those things will rule over you and they will take away from you what God has for you. Bob Dylan, some of you might not know who he is, he wrote a song years ago when he went through his kind of Christian conversion journey uh, and he wrote some good albums. He wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And ultimately, you can take it down to two two parts. Two realities you can serve. You can serve God or you can serve the devil. They're the two options because God says you will have no other gods before me. So whom do you serve? Who is the authority over you? There has to be a who. You serve what you love 
What I love and value is what I serve. What I serve and love is ultimately my master. And if that's God, that brings freedom. That brings liberation to you. That brings joy. That brings purpose and fulfillment. If other things just sneakily usurp that throne that God should have, whether it be good things, the Bible calls them idols. And they're lesser things that we give our heart to to gain value, identity, to gain purpose. And they're not always bad things. And that's the danger in Christian community because we can serve a lot of good things and good purposes. But now and then, they can just creep in and sit on the throne. And we've got to get them off and let Jesus be the one we serve, the authority over us. Joshua, as he took the people of Israel into the promised land, as they've gone in and taken the land and established themselves there, and aren't our hearts heavy at the moment with what's happening in Israel and the Middle East? And there's things to say about that perhaps at some point as a church community and speak into that and preach into that. But I, I would just say this, perhaps as we look at what's happening in Israel and the, the world is kind of at a inflection point, geopolitically and I know we're up here in the hills and it's nice and um, you know the peaches are coming out in the trees and the strawberries are coming to bloom there's lots to, to celebrate and be joyful about but we shouldn't be cut off from what's happening in the world or ignoring it and we need to be praying into it because the world is at a really wobbly point right now and what's happening in the Middle East could be contained and could settle and stay there it could spill out in other ways. So this is a good reason to serve the Lord. This is a good reason to be committed to him, to be fully committed to Jesus because we don't know what will take place in our world. We have no control over world events other than we can pray and seek the Lord about them. But just one thing I would say about the situation in Israel because a lot of things start to talk about, is this the end? Is this the end time? Is this, is this it? Is this revelation? Is I'm not sure, right? But I will say this, just from Scripture, some things that we need to consider. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Um, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour of when he will return or when the end of the age will come. So don't speculate. Thirdly, be vigilant, sober, alert. Be ready. Be ready, serving the Lord. And that would be the final thing, serve the Lord. Whatever happens in our world, we're called to serve the Lord. And Joshua, as he takes the people into the promised land, Joshua 24, 15, he gets them to renew their covenant agreement with God. And maybe that's what I'm calling us this morning to do, or calling myself to do as a church community, to, to renew our commitment and our covenant with the Lord. This is what he said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But he says, choose for yourself. And you get to choose. I get to choose whom you will serve. But know that whom you serve is your master. And you want a good master. 
not a deceitful or lesser master. Serving God is freedom. It allows us to serve others. Serving others first is slavery. Serving things before God is slavery. We serve because Christ first served us. Generous people serve God and not money. This is what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters, Luke 16, 13 to 15. You can't serve two masters. You can serve one and you will serve one master. I will serve one master. But you can't serve two. You can't serve three. You can only serve one master. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money or anything. And Jesus is talking to the divided heart where we're half in, we're half out. That's a great recipe for a miserable Christian life is to be vacillating, half in. You can look that word up. I think it's the right one for what I was about to say. It could be wavering, like, you know, you can't be half in and half out with Jesus. If he is Lord and he is Lord, if he is coming back again to judge the living and the dead, and he is, if you'll stand before him when you leave this earth, you can't have a split allegiance. You can't be divided. And if you're visiting and you're searching out Christian faith, you're welcome. And we love having you here. But we don't want to mislead you either. Jesus calls for our complete allegiance because he deserves it and because he's the only one who can make that claim. Hallelujah. You can't be divided in your service. So whom do you serve? Who is the authority above you? Secondly, how do you serve? How do I serve? The attitude within you. The attitude within me. Because, to be honest, I'm a bit of a whinger from way back and a, a grumbler. You know, if there was like an Olympic medal for whinging, I'd be in the running. I, I complain, like I get annoyed, you know, I get upset at things easily. It's awful, but, you know, that's the lot I was dealt in my personality growing up. You know, the family situation feeds into that. I'm working on it. The Lord's helping me. But sometimes in serving, particularly as Christian people, serving God, serving others, we can become grumbly. Um, we can become annoyed or we can feel like, well, I'm working hard. You know, why aren't others? Or I'm putting in all this time and what are they doing? Or we, we, or we get protective of our patch. But ministry and serving the Lord is, is not an entitlement. It's not a status. It's, it's an attitude. And it's something that Paul speaks into in Philippians 2, 5 to 7. I'll go to that in just a minute. There can be some other things that impact our attitude in serving as well. I call it the myth of scarcity. I don't have enough to share. I haven't got enough, so I can't serve or share. It's the myth of scarcity. God owns everything. God owns absolutely everything. How can we never have enough if he calls us to do something? How can we not have the time if he's asked us to do it? How can we not have the resources if he's called us to do it? He will provide. He will give us what we need to serve him. So the myth of scarcity needs to be taken out. The illusion of isolation. It's not my problem. I just walk past. I just ignore it. 
I remember someone at a church I was leading in once came to me and said, look, there's this person in our church community who's really struggling. Uh, they need some help with this, this, and this, and they're doing it really tough. And I think the church should do something to help them. And I said, I agree. And I said, I'm going to appoint you on behalf of the church. No, but the church should be doing something about it. Yes, I'm going to ask you, can you help this person? Can you do it? And there can be that illusion of isolation. It's not my problem. It's someone else's problem. Someone else will sort it out. Then there's the trap of comfort. I don't want to disturb my comfortable life. I don't want to be messed up in anything, but serving is messy. And it does mess with our comfort. And it does call us out of our comfort zone. I'll talk in a moment just about not serving out of guilt or obligation and and the need to rest and to care for oneself as well. But for now, let's go to Paul, Philippians 2, 5 to 7, in our attitudes to serving. In your relationships with one another, have the mindset, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was Jesus' mindset? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We don't give our lives as a ransom. Only Jesus can do that. But we still share and give and be generous. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. One translation says something to be grasped. Like he walked around on earth going, hey, I'm God, listen to me. I have authority and power. I can strike you all down. No, he, he set it aside for a season. Listen to this. He made himself nothing. This is God. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The word there, there's two words for servant. In Greek, there's three actually. One of them is diakonos, which we get the word deacon, People who serve in ministry and ministry. The other one is doulos, which is slave, which is a kind of a lower status again. What word does Paul use here to describe the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the one who we are called to worship? He uses the word doulos. Jesus made himself a servant slave. to seek and save us. So the attitude, Paul says, is have an attitude like that. If God is willing to go to such lengths to save us and to serve us, be prepared to serve. Be prepared to to go lower (laughs) if you need to. And the Apostle Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10. Above all, love each other deeply let me just turn to someone and say, I love you deeply. <laughs> now, we're talking about agape, Christian love here, okay? So don't go trying any pickup lines on anyone, okay? <laughs> turn to someone, I love you deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, Lord, deliver me from grumbling. Offer hospitality, welcome, sharing life 
sharing together without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. The premise there is that each of you as followers of Christ have gifts. You have grace. You have a a gift of the Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, use those gifts to serve others. So how do you serve? What's the attitude as we serve? It's the attitude of Christ. It's the attitude of love. It's the attitude that he showed us. So whom do you serve? Who has authority over you? How do you serve? What's the attitude within you? Maybe it's just cleaning your room if you're like a teenager. Um, you know, if your parents ask you to do that, don't grumble. Just clean your room. <laughs> Thirdly, where do you serve? The appointment to you. And this is more specific the appointment to you. The Lord appoints us to places of service and seasons of service. And it's good to know what that is, to have a sense of, Lord, what are you calling me to do now? How do you want me to serve you? How can I serve you in this situation, this season, this place? Because when you have a peace about that, a knowledge about that, it doesn't matter what happens in the place. It doesn't matter what difficulties you face. If you can just answer the question, this is where God has called me to serve right now in this season it doesn't matter if it all falls apart it doesn't matter if no one likes you it doesn't matter if it seems to be going bad you just have to have that yes of Lord where have you appointed me where have you appointed me right now is this the place and I've dealt with that as a pastor over the years effectively I've been trying to not be a pastor for 25 years because I find it hard at times. There's others who are really good at it and maybe find it easy, but it's, it's been challenging for me. It's been difficult uh, for a number of reasons. Some of them are my own insecurity, my own weaknesses, uh, my own sinfulness. But ultimately, I've kept coming back to God and I'll say, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. I'm sure you've got others who could do it better or others who are more eager to do it. But if you want me to serve in this capacity, I will do it. I was in a church um, in Melbourne and in the first three years, I wrote two resignation letters. It was so hard. It was so difficult. It was actually awful and horrible in so many ways. I can't go into it. And I wrote two resignation letters, one after the first year, one at year three. And I still got them. I should read them now and then just to remind myself, Nick, don't give up too early. Don't give in too soon. Just ask this question of God. Lord, is this where you want me right now? Is this where you've appointed me now? If you can get an answer to that, it solves a lot of other problems. Because like if it's a yes, it's like fine. I don't care if it's horrible or awful. I don't care if it's difficult. Well, I do. (laughs) I wish it wasn't. But if this is where you want me to be, Lord... I have peace in that and I can surrender to you. So where do you serve? The appointment to you. And only you and the Lord can answer that and you can talk to other trusted Christian friends and and pray about that, seek counsel, seek God's word. But if you have a strong yes about where God's called you to serve, that creates clarity and peace for you in your life. Where do you serve the appointment to you? 
Paul said this, Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and you'll see that through the New Testament. Jesus' followers also call themselves servants, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He says in Ephesians 3, 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Now, Paul had a, a calling to go out and to proclaim God's word through the nations. But ultimately, that might not be each of our calling, but we all play a, pl- play a, play a part in that calling. All Christians are, served to, are called to serve the gospel, to serve the mission of Jesus. And it might be in this way or that way, in this capacity or that capacity. But ultimately, we're all, ser- we're all called to serve the mission of Jesus. And Paul knew that deep in his heart. And let's have a look at, our church community, this, these, we have statements of beliefs. I don't know if you've ever read them. You ought to, especially if you're a member, because you should know what we believe <laughs> and you should own what we believe as well. We also have values as a church community. This is one of, from our statement of belief. In the gift of the Holy we believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit to all God's people and that all members have a role to play using their God-given gifts, skills and talents for the good of the church local and universal in the service of God's mission. One of our core beliefs as a church is that every person who believes in Christ is given the gift of the Holy Spirit, is given gifts to serve the mission of Christ. So there are no passengers. There are no passive observers. There are no people just watching from the sidelines. If you're a member of this church, if if this is your spiritual home, Um, as a believer in Christ, you have a part to play. You have a role. And look at our church values. We believe in being good stewards. We acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. So we live as stewards of creation, not owners. This means we are generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we seek to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It means we are generous with our time, our talents, and our treasures. Another one of our values is being servant-hearted. We didn't make these up. These are just from the Bible, right? Christ's love compels us to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. We desire to be a community that embodies this love, seeking to serve rather than to be served. Do something a bit cheesy. I know it is. But let's do it. Why don't we, if you want, if this is your church and you are part of this church community as a believer, let's read this together. If you believe this, if this is what you want to be about, let's say it together. Christ's love compels us to live with our neighbour as we love ourselves. We desire to be a community that embodies this love seeking to serve rather than to be served. Now, we've got that on recording, so (laughs) when I ring you up this week and ask you to help out somewhere, I'm going to say, hey, I've got the video. Chris, I saw you saying that, and uh, whatever it might be. Um, Seriously, that's our heart as a church community because that's Jesus' heart. And look, just as, as I bring this kind of to a close, as we think about this for our own lives, for our church, you know, whom do you serve? Who's the authority above you? How do you serve? What's the attitude within you? And where do you serve? 
what's God's appointment to you at this time? This isn't kind of a guilt thing like, oh, another blooming sermon about having to do stuff in church. Like, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm working. There's so much happening in my life. Oh, now you want me to, oh, now I feel guilty because I'm not giving enough, I'm not serving enough. Oh, man. No, it's not that at all. It flows from His grace. It flows from His gift. It flows from His servant example. He served us. This is Jesus in John chapter 12, takes a bowl and a towel and he says, now that I, your Lord, he washes the disciples' feet. This was the lowliest job for the lowliest servant. I don't know what our equivalent would be. Maybe it's like washing the communion cups after communion. I don't know. Packing up the chairs after the service. No, nothing kind of compares. Washing the feet of people was the lowest of the low jobs for the lowest servant. Because when you wore sandals in towns that had open sewerage and dirt and dust and no drainage, feet weren't like nice, shiny, clean Western feet like ours. They were filthy and disgusting. And the Son of God, who came not to be served, but to serve, puts a towel around his waist, gets a bowl of water, stoops down to the shock of his disciples and washes their feet, washes your feet and my feet. And he said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet, willing to serve each other. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them serving brings blessing serving God brings freedom serving with the attitude and empowerment of Christ and his spirit brings freedom serving with clarity around the appointed place of your service brings freedom and joy. As the team comes up, I want to pray. And I particularly this morning, as, as I was kind of finally preparing, as I was, I guess, going through, going over the message, something I think spoke to me really strongly is that there are a lot of people in our community right now who might be feeling tired from serving or weary and you've got a lot happening in your life. You're working. You've got family pressures. Maybe there's financial pressures. Um, and, you know, you are serving in our church community as well. And I look back over the roster the last two months. There's like 200 different people, at least, serving in our church community in different roles and capacities. So, you know, we thank you for that. I thank you for that, for the generosity of this church, for the servant-heartedness of this church. I thank you. And I invite the team back up. Um, but I do want to pray into that as if you're hearing this going, oh my gosh, this is just more weight upon me. Serving Jesus doesn't bring more heaviness and more burden. <laughs> serving Jesus as the one who was above us. Serving in the way that Jesus served us. Serving where Jesus has called us for this. Freedom and brings freedom, I'll just repeat that, and brings joy. 
So as, as we gather, as we stand to sing, uh, I want to pray particularly for those who are feeling tired and weary in this season. I want to pray, and I want you to pray for them as well. Or if that's you, just, you know, I invite you to stand now, actually. Just hold your hands out like in surrender position. Let's stand together. And you might be hearing this morning going, yeah, I've got to really get that person or that situation off the throne that only Jesus should have in my life. And to say, look, I've got to check my attitude. I know I have, have not had a good attitude lately. I know I've been grumbly. I know I've been winchy. Lord, I'm sorry. And you need to check in with the Lord and say, Lord, give me clarity. Give me confirmation of where you've called me to serve now. This season of maybe raising children, this season of vocation and work that you've called me into to be a light. This season of study and schooling maybe that you've called me to focus on and work on. This season of serving you in in, in cross-cultural mission or in some other way or maybe something God has been stirring you up about. I want you to pray into that as we pray. And I want to pray for those who are just feeling tired or weary, feeling burdened. Lord, we just pause before you. Jesus, we declare you are Lord. We want that to mean that you are the ultimate one we serve. That when we love our spouses, our, our children, when we are diligent in our workplaces and vocation, when we serve in our church community, when we give of our time, our talents and our treasure, Lord, we wanna say this morning, it's all for you. It's all for you, Jesus. It's not for us. It's not for our status. It's not for our comfort. It's not to make us feel better, though it does. It's for you. As we sang at the start of this service, Jesus, we are here for you. We are here for you because you came for us. You left your heavenly glory and you didn't have to. You left the eternal glory of your Father, of the kingdom of heaven, and you didn't have to do that. And you came not to put us down or to condemn us or to rule over us, though you do rule over us. You came to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus, we declare You our Lord. You are the one we serve put you on the throne and Lord our attitude Lord forgive us forgive me Lord where the attitude has been not what it ought to be but it hasn't been an attitude of love an attitude of grace an attitude of Christ likeness Lord change our attitudes Lord refresh and renew our attitudes and Lord our appointment Lord, if people here, if we're unclear about where you've called us to serve right now, make it clear now, Lord. Make it clear. Give people peace about your appointment to them at this season, at this time. And help them know the freedom and the blessing of knowing you're in God's will at this time, serving what He's called you to serve. And Lord, for the weary, for those who are tired,
Lord, there are people here who have very demanding jobs. There are people here who who feel the demands of, of parenting, of serving in our marriage, serving as a single person, people feeling maybe isolated or alone, people feeling burdened or overwhelmed. Lord, help us know afresh this morning that serving you brings joy. Serving you brings refreshment. Serving you brings strength. So Lord Jesus, I pray for the weary. I pray for those who are tired. Lord, lift them up now. As we sing, as we worship you now, Lord, lift them up. Breathe your Spirit into them, God. Strengthen them by your power in their inner being, by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, take off those burdens. Lift off all those burdens that are not from you, that are from the world or from the devil or from our own expectations and insecurities. Lift them off, Lord. And know that in Christ, you are enough. In Christ, you are affirmed. In Christ, you are a son and a daughter. He's not judging you on your service. He's not condemning you for it, for the lack of it or for the little of it because you're tired and weary. He loves you. He welcomes you. Come, come to Jesus. Come to Him in prayer. Give Him your burdens and say, Lord, I am your servant here to serve you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.